Hello, everybody. Welcome to Cow Daily. Today, um, we're joined by Andrew Feinstein. Um, I'll not do the intro. I'll bring him in, and he can tell you who he is himself. Andrew, welcome to the show. How are you doing? Hi, I'm good, thanks. Good to be with you. Um, yeah, carry on. All I want to say from the jump is I've just got a lot of respect for your work, and it's a real pleasure that you've took time out to um, spend talking to us. So thanks for that from the jump. No really appreciate it. Um, would you like to just tell the listeners and the watchers like who you are and um, what your background sure. is? Sure. Tell me to shut up when you've heard enough. Sure so will. My name, <laughs> my name is Andrew Feinstein. Um, I'm one of the founders of a new initiative called, um, at the moment, Tentatively for the Many. Um, by background, I'm South African, as you can probably hear from my voice. I served as an ANC member of parliament in South Africa's first democratic government after 1994, serving under Nelson Mandela. Um, I'd been involved with the ANC from my late teens um, in squatter settlements and townships around South Africa when it was an apartheid state. I worked primarily professionally on the global arms trade, on corruption and state capture, and I've written books on these various topics, one of which is called The Shadow World Inside the Global Arms Trade. Another is called After the Party, Corruption, the ANC and South Africa's Uncertain Future. Great. Fantastic. That's a really good um, praise of who you are. Um, what, one thing I want to ask you first, obviously we'll ask a lot about all those different things you just mentioned, but I want to start with the uh, network that you've set up for the many. Um, one of the questions that I've got is, um, and people have been saying this to me as well as something that I've like been thinking about. The, things like the Enough is Enough campaign are kind of petered out. So why is this different? Sure. I think that's a great question, a very important one. And I think why this is different is the whole idea of it is it's going to be grassroots-led. Yeah. So um, initially, there were sort of five of us who were really involved in developing the idea along with Ken Loach, who I'm sure many of you have heard of. Um, but that was really just a temporary thing to get it going. Now that we've launched the network, um, yeah. the idea is that across the country, there will be local, what we refer to as community hubs, mm -hmm. which will organize in whatever way they want to. It'll be entirely up because, you know, every locality in this country is different. If you took it, for instance, by parliamentary constituency, the politics of a particular constituency are different. The composition of the communities in, in that constituency will be different. Um, and so this is something that we want to see from the grassroots up. And the real purpose of having any sort of central function at all is just to ensure that there is a process of networking, of sharing of resources, ideas um, amongst these local community hubs. And I should emphasize at this point that this is not intended to be a political party by mm -hmm. any means. It's open to anybody who shares the basic principles that were a part of the 2017 Labour Party manifesto. So principles that we believe are principles of progressive people, the left, however you want to describe um, people who are committed to a free and public national health service, who are committed to universal access to an equal education, who are committed to workers' rights in the workplace, committed to trade unionism, 
committed to anti-racism, committed to um, a foreign policy that promotes peace, not war, um, a humane immigration system within the United Kingdom, et cetera, et cetera. And please, if you go onto social media and you look up For the Many Network, you'll be able to see those principles as we've sort of coalesced them into 12 basic principles. Anyone who supports those principles is welcome to join one of these hubs. Whether you are in a political party, be it the Labour Party or any other party, because there are a lot of new parties that, that have, yeah. have come along in the last while. And the purpose of this is just for people who have similar political principles to be able to network, to be able to draw on resources. There will be training for these community hubs in how to organize, um, in how to um, investigate matters in your local area that you know there's a problem, but you're not quite sure what the roots of the problem are or how the money flows work. Um, speakers will be available to these hubs around the country. So there will be those sorts of things made available. But ultimately, even that central component, and ultimately, I mean, as soon as possible, that'll all be decided by these hubs who will come together. And that's why when I mentioned the name, I mentioned it was a tentative preliminary name. Yeah. Because if the hubs together decide that they want to call it something else, that they want a, a sort of a particular leadership structure and who should, um, should be in those structures. That's all going to happen completely democratically. Great. So we're going to make this different to answer your question in a very roundabout way. First of all, it really is going to be grassroots app. Second of all, democracy is going to be at the core of it, local democracy. And that local democracy will be involved in the decision-making all the way up. So that someone who's sitting in a local hub in my own constituency, which is Hoburn and St. Pancras, um, sort of Camden Town in London, or, you know, in a constituency in Newcastle or whatever the case may be, they will feel a sense that they've had an input to the structure and the way in which this entity functions. Also, it's not something where there are sort of deadlines, where we feel it has to be in this form by this time. This is something that's going to develop organically. Mm -hmm. And there are going to be events that occur that are going to cause these hubs to want to think about these events. You know, obviously elections, but obviously yeah. policies and performances of this government and possibly any government after an election. And at those moments, obviously, resources will probably focus on those events. But that's not the raison d'etre or the reason for this network to be created. The real reason is that we feel there are a lot of people, progressive people, who were inspired, who were hopeful mm -hmm. by 2015 to 2019, who have lost that hope, who are feeling a little bit politically homeless, to be honest. Yeah, for sure. And this, and, and this is a home for all of those people. But it's for those people to figure out the shape and the functioning of this network going forward. That's great. I mean, it's like members-led organizations at the moment are absolutely much needed, particularly, I would imagine, a lot of the people who've joined this um, had tr like issues with the Labour Party being the opposite of that um, in recent times. So that, that's interesting. I mean, I think um, just to sort of push back a little bit, a lot of people who speak to me, they're crying out for somewhere to, to go. They're politically homeless, but they want a party. 
So it, with it being members-led, is there still scope for it to develop, develop into that if the members decide? I mean, as I say, the members are going to decide everything. So it could go in any direction. Yeah. I think we have to acknowledge at the moment that there are, as we mentioned, there are political parties that are, you know, smallish at this point, that are coming to the fore, um, that again, in every constituency, the situation is going to be different. So yeah. in some areas, you know, where people are lucky enough to have a progressive MP who actually is, is equally concerned about some of the things happening in the Labour Party at the moment, both at a policy level, but as much at a governance level. Yeah. Um, and the lack of democracy or even an iota of natural justice in the way that the Labour Party is functioning under Keir Starmer's leadership. Um, they might still decide that they want to work with a progressive Labour MP and that that might include for the next election. There are other places in which there might be a good candidate from another party who they believe is committed to these principles, who they want to support and work with. Or they might even decide that, that they want to run their own candidate. So all of those options are, are up for discussion. At this point, this network doesn't intend itself to be a political party. Yeah. What happens in the future, once it's up and functioning in, in the democratic participative way that we hope it will, it's not for me to say. It's not for any of the five founders to, to say. We, you know, we can say what we hope and what we wish for, but that's going to be up to the membership to, to decide. And I think you know, in having those sorts of discussions, we need to be conscious of the fact that there are people around the country actually doing some incredible work, some yeah. of whom have formed themselves into movements, into parties, etc., etc. The most important thing at the moment is that we're all communicating. And while we might sometimes disagree on strategy, we don't disagree on the fundamental principles that we want to see this country run according to. And that's going to be what guides everything we do. That's great. I mean, I, I have felt that myself where I have felt a bit homeless with, with with all of this. So it's great that there's something coming through. And I'm really inspired by the fact it seems to be truly members led, but also the fact that um, different strokes for different folks around the country, isn't it? So each sort of uh, local group can decide, which is great. You know, I think that's a fantastic thing. I mean, um, for example, I've had some really good chats with the Green Party recently. Um, you know, that certain people in certain areas, I think if um, a network got behind them, that could really benefit from it. For example, um, where I'm from in Newcastle, they did really well in a deprived ward called Biker, which I thought was incredibly um, interesting in terms of a tell. It's always been a heavily labor area and yeah. um, there weren't that many votes from it. And it was just a council seat. But knowing the areas I do, I could not believe they got that many votes or any votes at all in that area. So yeah. there is like seeds of the hope coming through, Andrew, you know? Oh, absolutely. There is no doubt that there are a significant number of people in this country who are not satisfied with the major parties, yeah. who believe that they're not really being offered a choice, that they're being offered variously, slightly different packaged version of the same policies, the same approach to politics. And I mm. think, you know, and I, and I say this as an ex-politician or what Al Gore described as a recovering politician, I suppose. 
um, you know, my own personal view, which, and I'm not speaking on behalf of the network here, but I think certainly, you know, the founders would probably agree with this. Politics globally are broken. Oh, I mean, without I think, a doubt. Yeah. You know, even, even where we are lucky enough to live in, in uh, sort of liberal democracies, they should actually be called neoliberal democracies because yeah. the economics actually um, completely dominates the politics. And those are the, the economics of neoliberal capitalism. You know, in those countries, and I travel an enormous amount for the investigative research work that I do, and I speak to people all over the world, in the global north, in the south, and even where people live in partial democracies, where they're supposed to be represented by someone, very, very few of them think that that person actually represents them at all. Yeah. They have the sense that elected politicians who are supposed to represent people, the vast, vast majority of them represent themselves in their own very narrow personal, political and material interests. And that, to some extent, is one of the motivations for setting up this network, that we believe that people, all people, have a capacity to organize themselves, to be able to decide for themselves how they want politics to be organized. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if one took it away from the sort of the day-to-day the -day anecdotal descriptions of it, at a more theoretical level, I think what we're living through at the moment is there was a, a fairly conservative philosopher at the London School of Economics many decades ago called Karl Popper. Mm -hmm. And I didn't agree with a lot of Popper's philosophy, but there was one aspect of it that I think was really good. And it's, it's become just part of our normal language now. You know, he developed the notion of paradigms. And we all know what the word paradigm means now, but it hadn't really been used in this way before Popper. And he spoke about how they were political and economic paradigms. And they ran often for decades and decades and decades. But then there came a point where the paradigm clearly wasn't working anymore. Mm. No one knew what the next paradigm was going to be. And you had between this, in this sort of, he called them an interregnum, a sort of a bit of a black hole, if you will, where we know that what is happening now isn't working for the vast majority of people, but we're not quite sure what's going to replace it. And I think we're in one of those moments now yeah. around the world historically. And part of what this movement is also saying is it's up to us to determine what comes next. Yes, of course, the forces of privilege and power are vast. And that privilege and power will never give up power voluntarily because we go to them and we say, oh, you know, things are actually quite shit for most of us. And I see that you're doing hell of a well out of it. But we think, and I hope we're being polite enough, we think that there should be the following changes to our political and economic systems. And they're going to say, you know what? You keep protesting about this politely because that's what this system likes and allows. Mm -hmm. And I think the point has gone beyond that now. I think the time for polite objection to the state of our country, the state of the world is over and it's yeah. time now for people, for people whose taxes pay the politicians and the officials,
for people in whose name our democracies, where we are lucky enough to live in them, however imperfect, in whose name our democracies are supposed to exist. It's time for all of us to start determining what our political and economic system should look like. And 2017 made us realize in this country that millions and millions of people share a set of common principles about what they want that future to look like and what they like our politics to be. Oh man, I agree so much. I just think um, one of the things um, from the sort of Corbyn moment, if you want to call it that, it was the fact when he came out and said kinder, gentler politics. We all know what that was meant to mean, but I knew straight away that's going to get twisted up on him constantly as it goes along. And one of the things that, you know, I talked to my parents, I'm from a working class background. I go to them to get a sense of what they think because they're not deeply into politics like I am. You know, they're just yeah. seeing it as anybody else would. And they really like Jeremy, but it wasn't hard enough. And that really, I would say, cuts across. So it's music to my ears that you're saying that we're a bit stronger, but with the same message, you know. Um, that's what I'd love to see, you know. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, the notion of a kinder, gentler politics, I mean, getting to a kinder, gentler politics is going to be difficult. But in getting there, we've got to remember the sort of politics we want. And yes, there are many who argue that Jeremy gave far too much space to people who, you know, based on an interview that most of us have seen on social media this morning by the head of elections for the Labour Party during 2017. You know what? I've got it right here if you want us to play it. Absolutely. I was ask you about it. Yeah. We're of the same mind. Let's play it. So um, just for our listeners, I'm about to play a video which is um, from GB News. And this is the former head of elections for the 2017 general election, Harry Burns. So have a listen. I was the head of elections for the 2017 general election campaign when uh, Labour were very far behind the Tories at the start of the campaign. Um, my job was very clear, save as many Labour MPs as possible. Uh, then when it became clear that Corbyn was getting close to government, I, along with a lot of my other colleagues, resigned. Uh, I left the Labour Party and then I tried to uh, do everything I can to bring Corbyn down. Unfortunately for everyone, he is no longer a Labour MP. Well, he was. No, Harry, thank you for that. And I was, I, I was teasing you slightly. But, the, um, <laughs> but I was not like you, Nigel. Oh, I know. But just before the break, I was actually paying credit to Keir Starmer because had mm. the Corbynistas been prominent in the party, given the, the yeah. appalling terrorist attacks we saw at the weekend, I mean, that, that alone could have cost Labour the next general election. Has yeah. Starmer cleared out the hard left or are they still there and just lying dormant? No, no, I, I think um, you know, Keir summed it up after the protester um, you know, invaded the stage uh, that Labour are no longer the party of protest. They are a serious uh, potential party of government. Uh, and I think that they are showing the British people that the party has changed. You know, it's, it's unrecognisable from the party that I left back in 2017. So, Andrew, what do you think of that? Well, the first thing I would say is that if this person, who I don't know, but if this person was actually receiving a salary from the Labour Party, in other words, from members of the Labour Party, people like me and many others around the country, and many people who, you know, paying their dues to the Labour Party was difficult in difficult economic times. If this person was taking a salary from the Labour Party while he was doing everything in his power 
to undermine the possibilities of a Labour victory under Jeremy Corbyn, then he's been involved in theft and fraud and he should pay that salary back to the members of the Labour Party who actually paid him. That's the first thing. The second thing is I think his characterization of the party and I think the fact that Nigel Farage is so happy with Keir Starmer tells us absolutely everything we need to know about Keir Starmer's Labour Party. That all it is doing is it is effectively giving the establishment the opportunity to continue the pretense that there is meaningful functioning democracy in this country. That yes, we might have a change of government after the next election, but will it actually lead to change in Britain for the people who most need it? The people who are struggling to feed their families with food bank use at its highest level at any time since the end of the Second World War. For people who are having to work multiple jobs just for their family to be able to decide to be able to eat that evening. For people who are having to decide during winter whether they can heat their homes if they're lucky enough to have a home or whether they can feed their kids. For people who are really worried about the schools that their kids are having to go to because all the middle class kids have gone away from that school and the government is putting absolutely no money into those schools. For people who are seeing their actual wages in real term decline year after year as the cost of living gets higher and higher. And if someone like Nigel Farage, who frankly, to be impolite about it, because I see no reason to be polite about a person like Nigel Farage, is a political delinquent. Mm. This is somebody who worked, as I did at a time, in the city of London. He worked in the city of London as an investment banker. He is a huge part of the establishment who, within hours of the Brexit vote going through, was queuing at the German embassy to get a German passport. And he still describes himself as he would say, I would say a person, he would say a man of the people. How stupid does he think people are? And I'm afraid that that sort of delinquency of politics was shown by both parties in that interview. To call people like ourselves the hard left is only a reflection of how far to the right the political spectrum has moved. Because to call Keir Starmer and what was his name, Mr. Burns, his Labour Party, a centre-left party, is to show that you have absolutely no understanding of what the centre-left is. You know, I grew up politically in Albert Vitulli, Oliver Tambo, and Nelson Mandela's African National Congress. And within that environment, I was described as of the centre-left because the ANC is a very broad church politically yeah. and always was as a movement and as a party. To now start seeing people of the centre-left as the hard-left, which assumes all sorts of things, like we would actually praise attacks on innocent civilians, for instance, to talk about something that's currently in the news. Or, or that we would think that it's okay to both praise the people of Ukraine for trying to repel an illegal invasion of their country by Russia, whatever the reasons for that illegal invasion, 
while calling Palestinians bloodthirsty terrorists for attempting to protect their homeland against not just a single illegal invasion, but decades and decades and decades of illegal occupation, which is a permanent invasion. To think that this is now somehow the speech of the hard left is to so fundamentally not understand politics that it is simply a reflection of how pathetic our mainstream politics have become. And again, it reiterates why there is a desperate need for a network of people who have similar political principles to be communicating with each other, to be working with each other, for us to train each other together to be better, to create the sort of politics we need in this country and way beyond this country. I agree with you wholeheartedly. I think um, we need to push back strongly. And if that's what this network is, I'm right behind it. I don't like being called an anti-Semite, racist, all of these things that I'm not. And our opponents do that because they want to delegitimize our politics, who we are as people, and move us away from what they would see as normal people that they're trying to hoodwink. Um, so I'm as on that basis, right behind what you're doing. Um, one of the things that would kind of tie some of these things together, did you notice that um, Keir Starmer and Emily Thornbury, both lawyers, by the way, who know exactly what human rights are, probably know the letter of the law as well, were asked from journalists in the last 24 hours, um, do you think it's right that water and power has been cut off to Gaza with 2 million people that are there while it's being bombed? Both of them have um, responded with the stock. I think Israel has um, a right to defend itself. What are your thoughts on that? And what is that about? Because some people might not understand why they're taking that line, you know? Yeah. I think the starting point of this, Mike, is that with the sort of government we have at the moment, which is a deeply racist government, which is very comfortable, ironically, given both the Prime Minister and the Home Secretary, who must be one of the vilest politicians this country's seen since Enoch yeah. Powell, and given their own family backgrounds. It's, it's, it's in fact deeply ironic, and I would suggest tragic. But you know, at a time like this, you would actually say, wouldn't it be great if we had a strong opposition in this country, preferably led by a human rights lawyer? Yeah. And the awfulness of the situation is this is a human rights lawyer who doesn't understand what human rights are. That's the tragedy of it. This person is so scared of alienating any potential voter, regardless of the views of those voters, regardless of how racist, how conservative, how right wing that voter might be. Keir Starmer is not prepared to say anything that would upset a single voter from the center all the way to the far right. And that's the tragedy of our politics. So when it comes to this particular issue, the reason that Emily Thornbury and Keir Starman, as you say quite correctly, lawyers both, are actually bald-facedly lying to us because they know that what Israel is doing is in violation of a whole raft of international laws. It is in violation of the Geneva Convention. So even if Israel regards itself as being at war, which according to its prime minister it is, it is violating the Geneva Convention, which is effectively the rules of war. You cannot starve a population. You cannot bomb hospitals, schools, ensure that those things don't have electricity or power, 
etc., etc. You cannot do that to a population. And just as we criticize Russia for trying to do that to parts of Ukraine, we have to criticize Israel for doing that in Palestine, notwithstanding the awful attacks that have taken place in Israel itself. But we have to understand those attacks within the reality that Palestine, Gaza specifically, and of course the West Bank, have been under occupation for decades and decades, an occupation that is illegal in terms of international law, that is in violation of countless United Nations resolutions, which Israel, the United States, Britain, and its supporters continue to ignore. And the reality is we have a choice as a country in Britain. And Keir Starmer and Emily Thornbury and the Labour Party have a choice as well. They can either be part of a rules-based international order in which we demand that everyone, including ourselves, follow international law, or we can accept that there is going to be anarchy and mayhem across the world and there is no such thing as the rule of law. That is the mm. choice they have. And today they have both come down in favor of an international order in which there are no rules or as they would prefer it, in which only certain people are required to abide by the laws and ourselves and our allied countries can do what the hell they like. And unfortunately, Mike, in my wearing my other hat, which is an investigative author on the global arms trade, this is yeah. how Britain behaves. Britain has been making billions of pounds out of providing weapons to Saudi Arabia that have been used to kill innocent civilians in Yemen since March of 2015. Tens of thousands of innocent civilians have been killed using British weapons and that's been done in violation of international humanitarian law, possible commission of war crimes, in violation of British domestic law in relation to the export of British-made weaponry, and in violation of international treaties we are signatories to, like the International Arms Trade Treaty. So this country's been behaving in a lawless manner. But what Starmer and Thornbury are saying is they're happy with that and they're happy to not criticize Israel because they can't afford to because they fear it might lose them a few votes in the next general election. Mm. And therefore, it is open season on a lawless world order. So how, without being complete hypocrites, are they able to criticize the appalling invasion of Ukraine by Russia and some oh, of the God, atrocities yeah. that have been committed in that invasion. You can't have it both ways. You either have to accept that what Russia is doing is legitimate or you have to accept that Palestinian resistance too, just like Ukrainian resistance, is legitimate when it is defending their homeland against violations of international and domestic law. You cannot have it both ways. But what lies at the heart of it is just the horrible state of our politics. Yeah. If these are the politicians, the best that Britain has to offer, you perhaps again will understand why some of us feel 
the time has come for a new politics. I fully agree with you. I'm right on board with that. I think a lot of people are, and they're looking, well, I know they are looking for something to rally around. So yeah. it's been great to hear about this. Sorry, go ahead, Andrew. Go ahead. Mike, sorry, could I just very quickly add one more thing that you, that you mentioned that I should have commented on? You know, there are people in this world who are anti-Semitic. There are people in this world who are Islamophobic. There are people in this world who are racist and discriminatory at all sorts of levels. None of that is acceptable. And none of that should be acceptable to anyone who regards themselves as a progressive politically. But I have to say, and this is very personal to me, I am Jewish. Mm -hmm. My mother was a Holocaust survivor. She spent three and a half years hidden in a coal cellar in occupied Vienna. She lost dozens of her family in the concentration camps of Auschwitz and Theresienstadt. And it's that that has informed my politics from the time that I got involved with the African National Congress in the struggle for democracy and equal rights in South Africa. It is that that has informed my work that has seen me lecture at Auschwitz on behalf of the Auschwitz Institute, that has seen me write on genocide prevention for the Auschwitz Institute. I am currently, because I am still a member of Starmer's Labour Party, mm -hmm. I am currently under investigation for two years now for making it difficult for the party to campaign on issues of racism and anti-Semitism. And I asked the party two years ago when I received my notice of investigation whether they wanted me to renounce the anti-racism that I'd learned from Nelson Mandela and my mentor, Archbishop Desmond Tutu, in favor of Keir Starmer's hierarchy of racism, which Martin Ford KC, appointed by the Labour Party, has described as racist. Because I can't do both. I have yeah. yet to receive a response from the party. But I want to say unequivocally that to use anti-Semitism, to use anti-racism, to try and smear anti-racists is unforgivable. And unfortunately, a lot of the people doing the smearing in this way are themselves deeply racist. Because as Nelson Mandela said, you are either against every single form of racism or you are part of the racism problem. And Keir Starmer's Labour Party today is part of the racism problem. Oh, and fully agree. For those of us who can stand up proudly and say, we have never been and never will be anti-Semitic, Islamophobic, or racist or discriminatory in any way, we have to stand up and fight against the racists who are trying to label the anti-racists. Andrew, racist. can I ask you a question? Can you sure. stand in the UK? Like, legally, could you stand for election? Because of, obviously you've, you've been an elected official in a different country. I don't know how it works. Would, would that be possible for you? I'm not sure. So I don't have a British passport or British citizenship. I'm a permanent resident here, which gives me the right to vote um, in any election in this country. I, some people tell me that as a permanent resident, you are allowed to stand for office. Some people tell me you have to be a British citizen. I'm exclusively a South African citizen still. Yeah. Um, so I actually don't know the answer to that question. 
Well, the reason I mentioned it, you mentioned you uh, live in Holborn and St Pancras, and that Starmer's constituency made stand against them. I don't even think it's about winning. It's about you talking like that on hustings or whatever and be just being there. Please say this to his face. And I know you would. I don't know that wouldn't bother you at all. But we need to see strong people like you standing tall and pushing back against these people. Because from our perspective, we have a reasonable size following. Quite a lot of people are just ignoring things now. They've had to switch off because it's so overwhelming. But what tends to switch people back on when there's a bit of hope, there's a bit of strength, there's a bit of you? Basically, we need people like you. So I agree that we need strong people who will say the same thing in private and in public to the faces of those we are criticizing. Mm. And it's something I've had to do my entire life because in South Africa, like I'm finding now, when I became supportive of the ANC when it was a banned illegal movement, Members of my own family wanted to know if I was drug on drugs or had mental health issues. And racist white South Africans would criticize me for being a traitor. Yeah. And I get very similar nonsense now from people who say that some of my views on the international order, on Israel-Palestine, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, you know, they, they come up with these things, self-hating Jew and these sort of pop yeah, yeah. psychology nonsense. I studied psych clinical psychology for six years, and there's nothing I hate more than people who don't know what they're actually doing, trying to impose some sort of psychology on others who they've never even met. And the irony is that most of the com complaints of anti-Semitism come from non-Jews, yeah, many of whom are of a far right-wing persuasion. I agree with you wholeheartedly that it is the time for strong people it is the time for strong people across the country at a grassroots level. Because, you know, at our launch the other night in Liverpool on Monday night, the people speaking from communities around the country, the people speaking from the floor, they were just unbelievable. Yeah. So coherent, so strong in what they were saying. And they would give examples. They would give statistics from their own lives of the discrimination that they are facing on a daily basis during the cost of living crisis. Because it's all about the 1% getting richer and richer and richer and ordinary working people getting poorer and poorer and poorer. But I think what we're trying to do here is come an election, these local hubs in each constituency must together with as broad a base as possible in that constituency, decide themselves democratically whether they want to run an independent candidate or whether they want to support a candidate of one of the parties, including some of the new parties that have arisen, if they are dissatisfied with the choices that the major parties are giving them. So like in any other constituency, in Holborn and St Pancras, where we have extraordinary grassroots activists. Those activists will decide what we as a progressive community in the constituency should do yeah. come the next election. And I have no doubt that whatever they decide with their support, and I have no doubt that this is going to happen in a lot of places around the country, we are going to see real progressive opposition, not just to the government, but to the mainstream politics of our day. I need to be honest with you, before we were speaking, and I spoke to um, Laura, who our mutual friend, and who arranged this, 
I was like, I'm skeptical. And it was because of enough is enough. You've absolutely talked me into how this is going to be a good thing. And I'll, I'll be specific. I feel the movement has lacked um, a central focus, but also um, without using like capitalist terms, a brand, you know, something people can understand. So if there's a, a independent candidate here, an independent candidate there, if they are kind of aligned to this, Good example is, you know, you've got Liverpool Community Independence. Um, they, if they were aligned with something like this, people would understand what that is and it would roll yeah. off across the country. I mean, Absolutely. just just as a completely different thing, I've promoted like events all my life, right? And if you can't like get it across to people like pretty quickly what this is, even in a symbol or a logo or something like that, yeah. then they're probably going to like, it's always this flyer test, right? If people don't look at it within the first five seconds, they're probably just going to chuck it on the floor. You know, yeah. so it's kind of I'm getting this idea now because you've described it to us in the way that you have. So thank you for that. And I'm sure there's plenty of people who are going to listen to this and are watching this now who feel the same. I mean, I can see it in the live chat. So you've clearly won some people over here, you know. Well, Mike, what I would strongly recommend is, you know, all of those things, the way in which we brand ourselves, the way in which we talk about ourselves. That's going to continue to evolve as this network evolves. And that's the beauty of it. Nobody's prescribing what it should look like, what it should be. Yeah. All we're doing is saying these are the principles that we are committed to. And that's all you need to get involved. And you can get involved formally, informally, however you want to. But I would strongly say to people, go onto social media. The website will be up imminently if it's not yet up. And sign up. There's a mailing list mm. just so you get informed of what's happening and we'll make sure to inform you of what's happening in your local area. But don't sign up on the basis that other people are going to do something for you. Sign up on the basis that we're all going to do this together and we're going to figure out how to do it. If one of us or even if a small group of us had all the answers, we wouldn't be in the mess we're in. So we're going to figure out together how we get those principles we all live by to become the principles that inform the nature of our politics, the nature of our governments going forward. And yes, it might take us time. And it's called a struggle because it is a struggle, because it yeah. isn't easy. You know, I find there are people now who look back on the end of apartheid in South Africa and they think, oh, you know, there was this Nelson Mandela guy and a lot of people knew about him, so it must have been really easy. There was a struggle that went on for decades and decades and decades. Thousands of people lost their lives. Thousands of people spent years and years and years in prison. But liberation came. It hasn't been perfect. Post-apartheid South Africa has enormous challenges. For us to win what is our due as ordinary people in this country, is going to be a hard and long struggle. Yeah. But the time is now for us to get together and figure out how that struggle is going to be waged and together wage that struggle. And if we have some disagreements about strategies, we can take up different strategies in different organizations and formations. That's not a problem. You know, there's not always one correct way to do something. Sure. And this, this network will give that flexibility to do that. So, Mike, you're exactly right. You know, it's I think we started at the launch to start coalescing what we're about into sort of pithy phrases. But it's up to people like yourself and others at a grassroots level who think that this sounds great and want to be a part of it. 
to start becoming a part of how we message, how yeah. we communicate. And please do just join up because the politics of the future is a politics for the many, by the many. I agree with you. And I want to say something as well, as I just like what I said before, I was absolutely not joining this before we started talking. You've absolutely talked me into it and I'll be joining as soon as I've got this, the audio version of this out today. Um, I like the freedom that's within it. And I like the fact that it's a true democratic organization. And I like the fact that, say, if there was an independent here or a green there and we're going to support them. I wasn't into that idea at first because of, like, you know, Brandon and all of that kind of stuff. But it's there. And if it's sure. it, it's relatively simple to explain to people, like, what it is, you know, within a short period of time. And that's often what this is about, isn't it? People don't have time, so they want to know and want to know quickly. Exactly. So I'm I'm sold. And I'm looking at the live chat, and there's so many are. People are calling it Corbynism in boxing gloves, and I think that's pretty cool. <laughs> A lot of people would respond, don't let Andrew anywhere near boxing gloves because he would run a mile. <laughs> but I, t I take the point. And the one thing, you know, when I was in parliament in South Africa, um, I always used to think of myself as fairly polite and diplomatic. And we then did a public hearing of my committee into someone who had defrauded the government and thus the people, in my opinion, of a lot of money. Mm. And I was shocked the next day to read in the media, you know, how impolite I was, how aggressive I was. But I think when you are fighting for a certain type of politics, what, what you described as a kinder, gentler politics, sometimes you've got to be very forthright in the way you communicate what those politics are and how you're going to get there. The ways in which we get there are going to be done within those principles. We are not going to violate those principles in getting to where we want to be politically. But that doesn't mean that we're going to be quiet, that we're going to be polite. What we're going to do is we're going to tell it like it is. Yeah. And we're not going to tell it like it is from just my head or Ken Loach's head or Naomi's head, or Ian Hodson's head. We're going to tell it like it is for the vast majority of people in this country because they are going to be the people doing the telling. And that's really the key to this thing. And I'm really delighted to hear that you now get it and that you're enthusiastic about it. And I'm very yeah. grateful for those in the chat who, who are enthusiastic. For those of you who still have doubts, I'd say, still sign up. Come along. Be a part of directing where this goes, because it's not the sort of thing that is just going to be, well, others are going to do the work and you can jump on the bandwagon whenever you're ready. It's going to be something that is going to be forged and formed by all of us together. So get involved now rather than waiting. And you can be a part of deciding all of those things, including what the logos look like and what we should call ourselves and all of that stuff. And that for me makes it very exciting. And it's why I've been spending quite a lot of time on this, because I also believe that, you know, it's not about the next election. It's way beyond that. It's about the systemic nature of our politics and governance in this country, which is in a total mess. And I believe that this network is going to help 
bring about fundamental and real political change in this country ultimately. I'm, I'm in, mate. Absolutely in. You've talked us into it. You ever thought about being a politician yourself? <laughs> <laughs> I was persuaded by a guy called Nelson Mandela. Yeah. Yeah, man, for, for real. One last thing before you go, if you've got, got time. It was just on Mandela. Um, I, and an interesting quote, obviously quite topical at the moment. The histories of our two peoples, Palestinian and South African, correspond in such painful ways, painful and poignant ways. And that was Mandela in 1999. Would you just slightly like sort of um, educate yeah. us about that? Like Absolutely. What, what, what does that mean? Yeah. So, so Nelson Mandela and Archbishop Desmond Tutu, were during their lives because neither of them are with us very sadly anymore they were very critical of the state of israel and the reason they were critical of the state of israel was twofold they recognized in the state of israel some elements of the south african apartheid system and they therefore referred to it as an apartheid state but in addition to that it's important for people to understand that israel and apartheid south africa which was a brutal racist state to give you just one example, a trade unionist in the South African context who, who I had enormous respect for, was arrested in the apartheid South African state for his work against apartheid. And rather than go through the hassle of a trial or anything else, they just threw him out of the window, the 10th floor window of police headquarters in downtown Johannesburg. And that state treated millions and millions and millions of people like that. I grew up in a country where if you had a black skin, you were regarded as less than human. And Israel helped that apartheid South African state become a nuclear power and defend itself so that it could remain a white supremacist state. And both Mandela very soon after he came out of jail and Archbishop Desmond Tutu throughout his life said, why would I support a state that continues to practice a system of apartheid against people who have been our allies in the struggle? And why would I support a state that assisted my oppressor to keep me oppressed for many, many more decades? And it's a very valid point, and it's why you'll find the South African government today, which is not unproblematic, there are huge challenges facing the ANC in South Africa, which I've written about a lot, which I talk about a lot. But the reality is the South African democratic government has very, very good positions on Israel and Palestine, remains incredibly supportive of the Palestinian people and their demand for freedom and for peace. And it's the only way, ironically, that Israel is going to have the security it desires is if it makes a fair and equal peace with Palestine so that Palestinians and Israelis can live together in peace and harmony. That's what Mandela did in South Africa. And that's what he wanted to see happen in Palestine and Israel. Magic. That's absolutely fantastic. And honestly, thank you so much for your time. I mean, we've run over a little bit, but you're a really engaging man. And honestly, if there ever was possible that you could stand, please stand. Because like that Corbynism and boxing gloves thing, man. That's, <laughs> honestly, that's that's a winner. I'm telling you, uh, like the type of places that we're from, 
that'll go right over. I'm not saying wear boxing gloves. We've all seen Stormer actually try and punch a bag. It's not a good look. But just a bit, use your mouth. That's your boxing glove. Seriously, you'll win. You've won me over. And I was like, I'm just going to talk to the guy, talk to him. But I don't believe that this is, it's just another one of these enough is enough things. But it's not, though, is it? It's not, though, at all. So, it's not at all. And the way yeah. we're going to persuade more and more people is just by talking to our families, in our communities, to our friends, to each other. Because we're only going to get out of this mess together. Yeah. And I, I really, you know, unlike many of you in the UK, I've lived through fundamental, profound, systemic change. Yes, the outcome hasn't been everything I would have hoped for. But South Africa today is a non-racial democracy. After 370-something years of racist oppression, and that's why I have hope. That's why I believe this movement can bring fundamental change to the sclerotic, deeply unfair, elitist British political establishment. And that's why really, if you, like Mike, think that this is something you're up for, please sign up as soon as possible. Please talk to others about this because we're only going to do this together as a mass network across the country of people who broadly believe in the same things. Underneath that, we're all going to be supporting different football teams. We're all going to have different opinions about huge numbers of issues. We're going to have differences of strategy and how we go about this. But we all have those core principles in our hearts and in our heads, and that's what's going to drive this. But we've got to do it together. Fantastic, mate. I'm with you. Simple as that. Well, let's really stay in touch you. And, let's, and let's keep talking. Let's keep talking, mate. Definitely. Um, I'd, as I said, it's there's been a hope deficit. And from what I'm gathering from all of this in the live chat, and I'm sure I'll get that when it goes out to the like um, people who listen on the playback, I reckon it'll be the same. It'll be like, he's given us some hope. This words like inspiration and all of that. People want to do something. They just don't know. You, you know that. I, I don't need to tell you that. You yeah. you know how it is. So if this is a, a, a flag that people can fly together, then fantastic. I'm I'm all about it. Um. So just on a human level, mate. Thank you so much. Forget all the interview stuff. I really appreciate you and what you're doing. It's given me hope to know there's people like you in the world. To be honest with you, that's really kind. But I'm really glad to know that there are people like you around. And thank you so much for taking the initiative and for giving us the time to talk to you. It's really been great. Thank you so much, Andrew. Um, right, I'll do I'll do the outro, but I've kept you long enough, mate. Um, let's keep in touch, though, and um, to see where this can go. Great to make contact. And All please, the best, you know, I don't know if you know Ben Sellers, but Ben has been started to help us with the media and the social media and stuff. Mm -hmm. When you sign up, I'm going to tell Ali, who does the administration, just to put you onto the social media and communications group, if that's all right. Yeah, that's cool, man. Go for it. Because that's where we're thinking through all of this stuff around branding and all of that shit. Let's it do it, so man. Cool. And I love the Corbin in boxing gloves thing. It's good. It's yeah, it's a good one. I'll I'll go back to the chat and we'll credit whoever came up with it. <laughs> <laughs> good stuff. Go on, Mike. Have a good day. All the best. You have a great nice day, mate. Bye bye. Bye. So that was Andrew Feinstein. What an absolutely brilliant man he is. Um, very wise. And, uh, you know, I, I think if you listen or watch um, or even read the things that I write, 
you will know that I've been a bit weathered about this kind of stuff, same as you guys have. But it takes a lot for me at the moment to feel the way that he's just made me feel. And that's a testament to him, but also I think we're ready, aren't we? I think we're ready to push on and get the boxing gloves on. So thank you very much, everybody. It's always a pleasure, never a chore. I will see you on the next show. Um, and do let us know what you think. Also, links in the description for um, everything that we spoke about today. You can find the books, anything to do with Andrew, things about the network, all that good stuff. Have a good day. See you later.